We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. Hope everybody had a nice long three-day weekend. And we got some reports of some personnel movement with the Lakers that we will discuss if and when that becomes official. But today, we're going to talk about this team from Frank Vogel's perspective. And I think Vogel's view on this team is one of the more fascinating ones this upcoming season, Darius, we've talked a lot about the idea of the dial being turned way more toward offense and away from defense. This was a roster that uh, in the past, Vogel had a lot of defensive weapons, especially on the perimeter that could really implement his style of play. And the roster is super talented. I have a lot of belief in it, but it is very different than it was last year and the year before under Vogel. I'm curious your thoughts, when you think of this season from Vogel's perspective, what do you think are his biggest challenges in getting it to work? Man, I just think that there's a lot of players. We talk about what's your inclination as a player, right, is sort of where my mindset always goes. Because I don't know about you guys, but going back to school or high school or even college, and there was this idea of group projects, right? And Who's going to do what? And and what's your expertise? And all right, well, you're the sort of outgoing social one. So when we actually have to go out in front of the class, like you're the one who's going to present, right? Like you're going to talk, right? right? Oh, you're good at research. And so you're going to do this and you're really good at writing. So maybe you can put together, right? And so it all sort of comes together in a certain way. But what's your inclination as a person? And I feel like one of the reasons where Vogel has been successful is that his ethos as a coach in terms of coaching defense has lined up, I think, with the inclination of a lot of his players, right? Like somewhere in there, in their own personal belief system as players, defense has been a priority for them. Yeah, Alex Crusoe is going to go to Chicago and be a very similar type of dude that he was here, right? Like that's internal for him. Yeah, and, and even if it's a guy like JaVale, 
right? JaVale mm-hmm. is, he he's the type of player where it's just like, nah, man, like, I'm going to go chase that block shot. Like, like that, that idea, he may not be the most fundamentally sound player. He may not be the best, like, oh, I've got the best defensive feel and IQ in, in terms of like how I'm going to position my body and angles and, and all of that. But, oh, shot up, I'm going up to go challenge it. And Vogel can work with that, right? He can channel that. And I feel like those sort of players aligning with his own personal belief system was important in in terms of generating the types of results and and getting buy-in and maintaining buy-in. So for me, Mike, Vogel's biggest challenge is I don't feel like some of these players that have been signed, that their natural inclination is I'm going to go out there and bust my ass defensively. Like they are very good basketball players. And I think that they will compete defensively if, if sort of nudged or even pushed in, in that direction, but I'm not sure if it's going to be as natural for them. And so I think Vogel in his own way is going to have to like push that button a little bit more often throughout the season than what he's maybe had to the past two seasons where it was, all right, we're establishing this culture early and then we're going to ride that wave over the course of the season. And every once in a while, I'm going to have to get back to reminding these guys, but I feel like those reminders are maybe going to have to be a little bit more frequent with this group in terms of getting them back on track to the way that he wants them to play defensively. Yeah. There's a chicken egg element to it where you can, you can have a coach and know his philosophies and go and get the kind of players that seamlessly fit into that system. And then it kind of just goes. And then there's the time where you, you just take the best available talent and think maybe this group of players can benefit from that type of a coach who's going to emphasize the things that, that either an individual player hasn't been the best at over the course of his time or that the team, just the the roster looking up and down, that's not the first thing you're going to think of. So I also was thinking about Vogel. I went back and looked at, at one of the interviews I did when he started and asked him about like basically when Palenka covered the reasons why he was hired uh, in his introductory presser. And then he said protecting the basket was still the most important thing for a defense, even with the increasing importance of the three-point line. And that was before that they had traded for AD and signed, you know, JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe like they had some of these discussions and Rob's in there saying, hey, what do you what do you think is the most important thing, you know, for the types of players that you're going to have? And so even if he doesn't have some of the same perimeter defenders, he certainly has the rim protected. Yes. On this team. And it's like that is Frank Vogel's main thing. And, you know, even if you look at like, we'll see we'll see what happens. You talked about the center position, but uh, Pete and how we don't know at the time when that might be official. But think about the way that like Marcus Saul protects the rim in a different way, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, compared to some other players. And but even even just with like with Dwight and with A.D., you know, that is a that is a lot of rim protection. LeBron, LeBron still provides rim protection. So I think that's part of the philosophy. And then Vogel also said, look, he's also, he's always going to be willing to change with the roster, but I still think that it's more of the, this is what I believe wins in basketball that he's going to do. 
And then in the same interview, I asked him about a, a specific question about the film room. Let me pull that up while you while you go back and forth on that on what Darius and I just hit. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to uh, to hearing what that is. We're much more similarly. We're much more similar stylistically to the 2020 team, the the team that won the title in terms of that rim protection, both with Mark and Trez. Right, those additions at the five spot are very different defensively, stylistically than than the previous year. The reported new player and Dwight alongside Anthony Davis. That is more in that same type of range. So I do I do think that we're not that different around the rim in terms of how we defend, but our perimeter defense is going to be significantly different. Darius, one of the things that I've talked about a lot uh, in trying to visualize what this team will be defensively is I've talked a lot about our ability to switch. I think we've got bigger guards, uh, especially with Russ and THT uh, looking like he's going to have a bigger role. We've got types of players on the perimeter that are able to do that a little bit more often. But Frank is much more of a drop coverage, at least amongst the starters type of guy. Um, and this is one of the things I can't wait to talk about with the reported new acquisition is that I think even though it's not the most significant signing of the offseason, I think it kind of clicks everything into place in terms of how I think we're going to play, like a style of play type of approach. I foresee us now a lot more taking that same approach uh, that we did in 2020 of protecting the rim with similar type type of players. But perimeter-wise, very different defenders this year. What is Vogel's challenge to get more out of the perimeter defense, even if we have a similar type of structure and paradigm with our rim protection? I think it's going to come down to Vogel doing what Vogel does best, which is identifying strengths and weaknesses of his players and then trying to ask them to do the things that they're good at most often. 100% agree. Right. And so there were times where Vogel would sort of offer up a sacrificial lamb of a player and sort of say like, hey, Danny Green, I know you're not the best at staying in front of shifty dudes at the top, but guess what? We're giving Braun a rest tonight. And so tonight, you've got Ben Simmons. Go and stay in front of Ben Simmons for us for a while. And Danny Green's like, well, shit, okay. I'll do my best, coach. Or, hey, KCP, yeah, guess what? Danny's in foul trouble. We're not going to slide Braun over to Kawhi right now. So, Good luck. <laughs> yeah, so you got Kawhi. Go ahead. Go get him. Clap, 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 right? Good job. And so Vogel will sort of, he, he understands those aren't the things that guys are best at. But for the most part, he is like, hey, KCP, you got Steph, lock and trail all night, right? Top lock, okay, you sit on the hip and go. Hey, Danny, we're not going to put you at the point of attack as often. We're going to put you in help situations. And I feel like even with a guy like Caruso, he learned over time that Caruso could really be a good help defender. But I think over time, he learned that Caruso was really good at the point of attack. And so he really did start to say, hey, Caruso, like, yeah, you got Dame or you've got CJ or you've got whoever who is sort of an on ball player. We want you on one of those those guys. And so I think Vogel is going to need to say, like, all right, well, what can you what are you best at? Baysmore, what are you best at, Wayne Allington? Like, what are you best at, Malik Monk? And we're going to try to 
put you in situations where you can hold up better. And the guys who can, in theory, do more because of their physical attributes, a Westbrook, a THT, he may lean on them and the ass gets bigger for those guys because they're more physically capable, even if it's not in their wheelhouse. But I don't think he's going to tell a Wayne Ellington to be like, all right, well, yeah, you got Devin Booker, right? Like, because that's not like you're setting a guy up to fail. And I don't think Vogel is that sort of coach. I th- So I think he's going to scheme his way into success around the perimeter much more based off of the individual strengths and weaknesses of the guys he has available to him. This does tie into the thing I was going to hit on the film room, the film room though, right? Because he's, this is what we saw Vogel do pretty well, especially in a playoff series. And he looked at the opponent, he figured out where to attack, and then he shifted his personnel accordingly. He didn't just stick with, this is my lineup. This is what the bench rotation is. He really believes in kind of maximizing the the differences on the floor that you have. And as we talk about all the time, when you start with LeBron and AD, that gives you quite a lot of options because you don't need as much from the other three spots as a lot of teams like have to have a certain level of scoring or have to have a certain level of defense. You get both when you have LeBron and AD and we'll see how Russ factors into that. But so here was here was his quote. And I just I asked him, what did you take most from your time in the film room where you started? He goes, the film room teaches you how to do the job, how to study the game, how to teach the game from film, how to create an advantage for your team by knowing your opponent and all their plays and tendencies. And and then he, he was talking about Jim O'Brien. He said there's nobody that he's ever seen who is better at breaking down film than O'Brien, who's the guy that brought him in. Um, he was the assistant under the assistant under Patino. And then he brought Vogel to Indiana when Bird fired O'Brien. Uh, that's when he then when Vogel got the bump. And, and that was basically thanks to O'Brien, too. He was like, look, he's the guy. This guy's great. You got to You got to put him in this spot. So that is another, just like protecting the rim. And like he's evolved some of his opinions, including the three point line on offense and how to play there. But a lot of the core elements to this guy are from that background. And so that's that's what he does. He's going to study. He's doing it right now. I promise. I promise he's watching game film on somebody right now, probably uh, probably Golden State. And he's thinking, all right, well, here's what Bazemore is going to know how to play against them. Because of this, he was on the team last year. But uh, you know what? We, we really need to get Ellington's three-point shooting in. And they, like he's going to shift all that stuff around um, for the first game. And and that is that is something I think, even over some NBA coaches who are all pretty good at this day and age, he's got that adva- advantage, I think, by being based there. Oh, absolutely. That's that's the value of, of the film room, right, is that ability to get into the details of not just the opponent, but your current players. And that's something where I feel like, you know, Kendrick Nunn is a okay point of attack defender. Uh, Kent Bazemore, similar. The, everybody, when we talk about slotting, meaning like they're the ideally where they would be in kind of the pecking order of this, are perimeter defenders. Each of them are projected to be asked to be about one slot higher than I think they're capable of. Like I'd feel much better about Kendrick Nunn's defense if he was one place less important, you know, in terms of our perimeter defense, in terms of how the team is coming together with the roster and the most recent signing Darius, I see us with two separate core defensive lineups and one being a drop lineup with another being a switching type of lineup. 
what do we need from our guards? Like, what do we need Nunn and Bazemore? And because I, I've often made that observation, right or wrongly, that Vogel always tries to f- solve his problems with defense. He does. That is his first instinct. And we don't have the the horses on the perimeter the way that we have in previous years. So if Vogel is looking to address, if if say we've got like you said, we're not asking Wayne Ellington to defend Devin Booker, but we might be asking Kendrick Nunn to or Russell Westbrook to yeah. or Kent Bazemore to. And all of those guys are solid defenders in their way, but can they guard Kent ba- or can they guard Devin Booker? Can they guard James Harden, Kyrie Irving? This is one of my biggest concerns of this season on the court is that ability to stay with those guys. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on the perimeter defense in particular. And, and you'll lead us into break, my man. Um, on perim- our perimeter defense in particular – it's one thing to do it when you've got the players that we've had in previous years, but what does that look like this season? I think it's going to look very similar within the context of perimeter defense is not uh, I'm alone. No defense is I'm alone. Even when you're playing one-on-one at the top of the key, there are principles that dictate the alignment behind you and which influences the way that you're supposed to guard the ball. And That's going to be, I think, Vogel's key idea that he's always emphasizing with his perimeter players is you have help. We will always have one or sometimes two or sometimes three, depending on the lineup, right? Because if you've got Dwight, AD, and LeBron in the game, which is a lineup he's gone to in the past, then you could have three rim protectors behind you somewhere. At some point. And so I think the the asks that he's going to make of his perimeter guys are do not make mistakes at the point of attack. Do not foul. Do not reach. Do not like position yourself in a way where you are shading the direction that you're supposed to. If you're supposed to go into a screen, then get over that screen, you cannot die on screens. Like there's going to be two or three, I think, core principles for perimeter players. Like these are the do's on every possession. Do this, do this, do this, and and then trust, right? If you do these things and trust that the people behind you are are going to do their job, we as a team, as a collective, are going to be okay. It's when you get off script at the point of attack or on the perimeter that things start to go haywire because then we get in rotation all over the court, which is a problem for us. With this group, I think way more so than the 1920 group, I think, right? Because there was a collective foot speed and IQ that existed on the 1920 team where not only could they move around the floor, they, they sort of knew how to operate in scramble situations. And until this team shows that they're capable of doing the same thing, I don't think Vogel can rely on that. And, and, and so for me, I think it's, it's the, the ask of do less, like do more within the less, within the lesser ask. Right. And that's how we're going to get to where we need to go defensively. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way of putting it. I think that um, we're going to put pressure on the ball with our perimeter guys and kind of funnel. I think that's something that I think is, yeah. especially with the recent signing, is is more, I think that's a likelier ask, which is actually similar to how our previous teams have played on the perimeter. I just don't see us being as effective at, at rotating 
Yeah, I was just going to say that we're not as physical right. at the point of attack. And so you can't. We can I think be. Uh, we can we can't, be, though. We've got bigger guards. We you know? do. So I look at Russ and I say yes, right? Mm-hmm. But I look at the 1920 team and to me, it's it's like, man, all of these dudes had a certain amount of go at the point yeah. of attack, whether it's Avery Bradley, even KCP. Sure. And then Alex Caruso and then Rondo. Even Danny, even Danny Green, like fighting over screens and providing back pressure. There is a size and kind of imposing your physicality. For there, sure. there was that. And I think that this team can look similar to that, but I don't see them playing with as much force Agreed. as that group. Right. And, and so so we'll see, though, how how it goes. But but I do think that Vogel is, is going to push his team in that direction to see how much of that he can channel and then is going to have to adjust based off of what they can or cannot do. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll shift our attention to the other side of the ball. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So this never materialized last season due to all of the injuries, but... I very much thought at some point, and this is one of the reasons I've thought that Mark was going to play less of a role this upcoming season, for the same reason that it was, I thought, supposed to be that way last year. But again, the injuries kind of got in the way of that. On the offensive side of the ball, Mike, I see a ton of pick and roll talent on this team. And that's why I always made the analogy with Mark is being a, a classical musician and sometimes, and we're trying to form a jazz group. 
but on this year's squad, we've got with with Westbrook, with LeBron, hopefully AD, you know, rolling into the rim more more like he was two years ago. But also Taylin, Kendrick Nunn provides something off of ball screens. Vogel has a lot of uh, a lot of new toys to, to play with on the offensive side of the ball, but also a lot of guys that can kind of do their own thing. So I, I'm curious, how do you see offensively, like what is Frank Vogel's role in getting this offense to, to in, in maximizing the offense for this season? To Just to be consistent on my own, what I've been saying this pod, I'll go back to what he said to, to see if it's informative of how like what he said he was going to do when he took over the Laker job and then how he adjusted things on offense. And he basically said that he, there was a major evolution in how he wanted to play stylistically. And most of that had to do with the three point shot, um, at least on the offensive side where he had to evolve and he had to grow. And Orlando was a lot of ways like a lab for him. It was such a different team. It was such a different roster. It was younger players for the most part. It was like, you know, Serge Ibaka for a little bit at the five. And he, so he, he did experiment with all these different things that he hadn't really been doing in Indiana when that, the league was mostly just playing the same way that it always played, um, with the exception of a couple of teams. And so how is he going to now use some of this additional talent that he has for this season coming up? I like I do think that as much as it starts, you have three players that want the ball and sort of have are going to have to have the ball a lot. And so what do you do? How, how many opportunities is Kendrick Nunn really going to have? Is that something that has to be built in? Or is that something where he just, he's good at going and getting a bucket and running screen roll? Cause that's how he's been playing basketball his whole life. That's the stuff to me. That's interesting is that, is this a, and it's, it gets back to the whole thing just with LeBron take out Westbrook and take, take out AD. How much stuff do you have in offensively when you have LeBron on the court who's just going to be able to diagnose whatever the defense is doing and then go ahead and get you a good shot um, out of whatever it is, what just dribbling the ball up the court. So that to me is is something I want to ask Frank about is how much he, how much he ends up sort of putting in to what they're going to do offensively versus how much he's had to kind of just, just have LeBron and, and to a different extent, AD and now Russell Westbrook coming in. And I, I do think that that's it's a different challenge from what you might have. Certainly, if you just have like a college basketball team or, you know, so, certainly a high school basketball team where, hey, this is what we're this is what we're running today. OK, on offense. Oh, yeah, completely different. Yeah, you know? I, I would love we need to do this pod because we've kind of talked about this a couple of times, Mike, where I would love to do a whole pod on what the hell does a coach do on a LeBron team? Because like you said, there's a a big chunk of it is freaking give the ball to LeBron, give the ball to Russell Westbrook, right? D like, and, and so what do you see Darius on Vogel's contribution to that? Is the, is the coach just a bystander at that point? I don't believe so. I think there's a lot of details that they can, they can help with, but to Mike's point, like we're not Utah, we're not a system motion offense type of team no and I don't think that's going to change if I had to think of one single core principle offensive principle for Frank Vogel during his time it's how can we optimize LeBron James and or how can we get the ball to LeBron James and Anthony Davis right and get them the ball yeah, it's a it's a lot of isolation. A lot it's of a lot of isolation. Up. It's a no, lot of post no, no, ups. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, oh, okay, well, let's screen here, and okay, we're gonna enter the ball here, and we're gonna screen and screen here, and then hopefully we're gonna get AD to this spot, and then we're gonna throw him the ball, 
This is one of the, when Mike talks about the offensive evolution that Vogel said that he's gone through, one of the vestiges of his Indiana sets that I... Like I'd like to see less of this. I think a lot of his plays take a while to develop. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I think that a switch to that pick and roll style of play that I imagined last year that I think is even more conducive to our style of play this year is like, let's just get into our stuff a little bit faster, even if it's not all that complicated. Well, so here's the thing is I think Vogel preaches our first goal of offense is to get a basket in transition, which is based off of our defense. Right. And so when you talk about Vogel trying to solve problems with defense, yeah. that's even to me, offense. that's like <laughs> the chief example. That, that's yeah. like that's the number one example of that 100%. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guess what? I want to play offense this way. You know, the best way to play offense this way is let's play defense. Right. It, it's it's like always there lurking is get a stop, get a turnover, get a rebound. And then we can go out and we can run and we can do X, X, Y, and Z. From Vogel's perspective, I think a shift in emphasis to our first action in early offense, if there's not a run out for a layup or a run out for an open three, is to can we get into a drag pick and roll in the first six seconds or so of the shot clock? Right. Can we get into that? And if we can, I think that is going to be the sort of head of the snake in terms of what the team is trying to do offensively. If I were Vogel and I'm not right. And so it's probably going to be something totally different than this. But but if I was him, I would think to myself, I've got LeBron on the court. I've got Russell Westbrook on the court. If those two aren't on the court, I've probably got Kendrick Nunn or THT on the court. And. I'm very likely to have a big man who is good at screening and getting downhill to the basket. Those are ingredients right there. I think back to last season, Pete, where a lot of times it was Marcus all was in the game. And one of the first things that the Lakers were doing a lot of times wasn't pick and roll. It was all right. We're going to go into our delay series and we're going to swing the ball back through the top and then we're going to run down screen actions, pin downs. Mark Mark has the ball at the top. And Mark has the ball at the top. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to either run a pin down or we're going to come and we're going to bring the ball. We're going to bring a guard up the wing, almost like a pistol action with that's going to operate with the center. And then they're going to make a read right there, right? Like either he's going to come and get a handoff or there's going to be a back cut right there and it was a lot of that stuff and you could tell that was those were the reads those were early offense reads for this team and so I think shifting away from that and into more pick and roll is a natural thing for this roster do you see that as being potentially a strong point of emphasis for this team I don't because we don't have that guy at the top of the key to be making the decisions. That's how you get no, the best I'm out of Marcus. No, I'm saying the pick and roll stuff, right? It, like shifting towards pick and roll instead of that. Absolutely. That early, those early offense sets with uh, where you're running pistol, you're running, but the, I, I'm glad you brought up those early offense type sets because I, like I said, I don't think what we're going to be doing is all that, all that complicated, but you can get, especially I was, I would say that, that, the open court and scramble situations are the domain of your best athletes. It's before the defense is set. It's when those battles can get won. It's less organized than any other portion of the game. And so getting into our actions quicker is something that 
can be facilitated by those early offense, those early drag screens, those pistol actions. They're all built around pick and roll type of play. Mike, one thing that I'm curious about is if we go away from the post-ups in the whole process of running more ball screens. And again, this is all theoretical. We may not run more ball screens at all. I just see the talent on this roster and the guys that we've acquired kind of all fitting into a certain style of play that points in the same direction. But there's a flip side to that. In my opinion, if we're posting up AD on the left block and clearing off a side, we got Russell Westbrook in the game and just our shooting is not, it, you know, it depends on, on who's in the game there. I, I think that we could be kind of playing with fire there spacing wise. Again, we always talked about last season, all of those stretches where, you know, zero field goals in the last 350 some odd. I, I think that we could see that if we are a little too geared toward toward the post up game. Yeah, it's it's that same. All right. So what's the if you're a, doing what Vogel's trying to do and you're sitting in or what's the best way to defend the Lakers? And the answer is to to try and get back in transition. And to try and basically flood the paint. And if they beat, if they hit 13 threes, then you're going to lose anyway. But what they're not going to do is get to the rim a ton or at least unimpeded. And also, if they do get to the rim, you know, put them on the foul line, at least to some extent. But try not to foul. Like, don't put them on the line. Don't don't grab AD in transition. You know, don't don't sort of uh, go up on a Westbrook pump fake. Those kind of things. Right. So it's a it's a pretty simple defensive game plan and then the whole thing is well can you do it though because of how forceful they are and because of all the athletes they have and because of the fact that they're going to be able to get stops but that that you're right about the whole post-up thing and, and we saw those possessions where ad gets the ball and then whoever's on the weak side even if it's a good shooter is still helping and still creating uh, traffic in the middle and i just don't know pete if there's a way to, i just think just just with lebron and ad and westbrook alone and Again, the thought being that none of th- creating a three-point shot off the dribble is not the best part of any of those guys' games, uh, even if LeBron can certainly do it um, at a high level, that defenses are going to play like that. So then the the answer may be what you suggested, at least in some senses, where, okay, just don't run that as much if it seems to be the play out of which you're going to get – you're going to have the least uh, effective way of getting an open shot. So it's all stuff to think about, and it's all it, it's all. This is why, like the again, the first preseason game now in less than a month is just going to be so interesting, where we can we can watch this team and compare it to the previous ones and see what they're doing, and and uh, and then we'll certainly break it down here in the film room. So, for me, I don't see them abandoning the post up, Pete. Yeah, it's more of a dial turn than an abandonment. I think that if the dial turns, it maybe turns a click. It's not turning three or four clicks, right? Like if sure. we were, if on a on a dial that goes up to ten or twelve or something like that, the Lakers as a were probably if out of ten they were probably at like a seven and a half or an eight as a post up team. I can see that going down to six or seven. I don't see it going down to four or five. I think right. that's fair. And in the context of the defensive conversation too, D, I do think that's a way to conserve energy. One of the ways, one of the reasons that you're stagnant, especially with the age of this team, right, on offense is you can give everybody a bit of a break yeah. where they're not running around sitting, you know, but you do pay a price for that. I I would like to see a balance between between that, which I think is valid. And I think you're right about that more of a subtle dial turn than a severe one but more attention to detail in maximizing yes. those plays. Well, also too that 
if the goal is to generate an open three-point shot, let me devil's advocate this or, or let me show you a through line of thinking when it comes to why a coach like Frank Vogel would value the post up on this specific team. My goal is to threaten the paint offensively. A very good way to threaten the paint is to use my big player who scores best right at the front of the rim and try to position him anywhere between six and 10 to 12 feet away from the basket. He's now eight or 10 feet from the basket. Give him the ball. What is the defense going to do? If the defense does not react at all and they say, go ahead, try to beat me one one on one. I trust LeBron James. I trust Anthony Davis. And maybe even this year, some I trust Russell Westbrook, right? To sort of go the right get, matchup, yeah. yeah. To go get me a basket from that position on the floor, either just by backing a guy down or by turning and facing and getting to to the hoop. The opposing team, if they defend us that way, they're going to suffer. So they're going to send help. And when they send help, we're going to generate the types of open three-point shots that we think we should hit at a high enough clip in order to punish the defense. We ran this same, again, I'm talking as Frank Vogel here, or I'm thinking as Frank Vogel. We ran this same exact, or we used this same exact formula along, coupled with a devastating transition attack all the way to a championship in 2019-20. It took some efficient post-scoring from LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and maybe to a certain extent, an outline shooting year from the mid-post from, from Anthony Davis. But that was the formula. And so if I'm Frank Vogel, sure, I'll run more pick and roll because I have more pick and roll talent this year. I'm not starting Avery Bradley or KCP as, as my point guard. My reserve guards aren't Alex Caruso, right? It's like these guys are savvy ball screen operators. I can give them more opportunities in, in this world now, but as a bread and butter offensive philosophy, I still see him saying I've got, two of the biggest, baddest dudes in the league. I'm not going to neutralize them and turn them into screeners or say, let's start possessions 25 feet away from the basket rather than trying to start possessions 12 feet from, from the basket. Because I think his, if, if in watching Frank Vogel coach now for, for two seasons, his, his defensive philosophy informs his offensive philosophy. He wants to protect the paint defensively, and I want to bludgeon the paint offensively. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if I do both of those things, I'm going to win. Yeah. That, that's got it. I see that as his focus, and I see the post being a way that he bludgeons the paint. Very much so. And I, it's just a matter of getting more out of those situations. Yes. And, and I think that this is, this has been a fairly general conversation where we didn't uh, hit all of the different aspects of Vogel's challenge. One of the aspects of it is the locker room, right? And you've got a lot of strong characters. I think Vogel is 
really the perfect guy to be amongst a lot of players with a lot of cachet. Um, but that's a whole a whole nother conversation. This is going to be an ongoing one regarding Vogel because I think that his perspective on this year is is really fascinating. We'll get to all of that and more on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.